You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and talk with a battery specialist, you need to do that because these guys are very knowledgeable about every kind of battery, hence the name Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera to your rangefinder, any battery that you need, these guys can help you find. Even if it's a specific, unique, one-off battery, these guys can help you find what you need. If you want to find out more information on Interstate Batteries, about their brand, about their history, about the company in general, and all the batteries they offer, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Hopefully, all of your shopping is done. Hopefully, the only thing you have left to do is open presents, clean up the wrapping paper, uh, eat delicious treats and food, spend time with family, and uh, yeah, that's uh, what this time of year is all about really is family. I try to teach my kids that and my wife that, but for some reason, they are more along the lines of presents and they got to have everything the right way and got to have this and got to have that, and then I'm just like, ugh. And uh, as uh, you hear on the, the intro to this podcast, uh, I come I come from a family that didn't have a lot of money growing up. So we had Christmas and our, my parents made sure that we had gifts every year, but they weren't ever extravagant. And as an old grumpy asshole of a dad, I feel like <laughs> like my kids don't deserve the, the presents that they get sometimes. Uh, I love them with all my heart. I made sure they have food and shelter and water but uh but when it comes time for gifts i'm like that's enough that's good enough that's good enough um but today we have one hell of a podcast i'm joined by brother of the sportsman's nation nate thomas of the missouri woods and water podcast and we kind of bs and he kind of in a way, interviews me about my recent December trip to South Dakota for a little redemption. And uh, on those those pesky mule deer out there, man, there's something about there's something about South Dakota that I've I have just fallen in love with. Whether it's the the ability to the, see the wild game and the different species, the ability to uh, just 
like hunt in a different environment, different terrain. The spot and stock hunting is addicting and uh, it's absolutely gorgeous out there. Absolutely gorgeous out there. And there's not a lot of people. Uh, I ran into one hunter as I was pulling out of the property that I was hunting on my very last day. And that was it. And uh, that's post rifle season. So it's a whole different world out there. But uh, yeah, man, it's a it's an amazing place, and uh, that's what we talk about today. We kind of recap my my recent trip to South Dakota, uh, and we got to do a commercial here, and that commercial is for Ozonics. Now, if you guys have not gone to the the Ozonics website, and if you have not taken the opportunity to research their products, their product line, and what. O3 does to odor and scent and and all that stuff you need to because of all the products out there that are quote unquote game changing there's actually science behind the ozonics unit and O3 that actually can help a hunter have less of a scent profile not cover up sprays not you know carbon clothing that which have been proven to not really work, right? So this O3, what it does is it has science, I guess science-backed information behind it. So you need to go check out the Ozonics website, read about what O3 can do uh, to your scent profile, not only in the tree stand while you're hunting or in the ground blind, but what how you can use it outside at home right in the dry wash bag uh, and how you can treat your clothing with O3 to kill odor and have a less of a scent uh, profile actually walking into the timber covering up those access routes man there are times when the the thermals are right when the wind is right when um, I've properly treated my clothes in O3 and I have my ozone unit in the tree with me that I, f- I straight up feel invisible and the encounters that I've had throughout the years have proven that. So uh, it's something though that you, you have to have your aha moment with it. So, you know, you can either buy one, you can borrow one from a friend and just put yourself in a position someday where you get real aggressive with your winds, with your wind set and go for it and use it. And I swear you'll have, uh, you'll have one of those moments as well. So if you want to check out an Ozonics, go to their website and I can, here's what I can get you. If you purchase uh, one of their units, I can throw in a free dry wash bag with the purchase of one of their units, and that is NFC19. So at checkout, enter the discount code NFC19, and you'll get a free dry wash bag with the purchase of your your Ozonics unit. So go check it out today. Awesome product. Other than that, let's quit bullshitting. Let's get into the podcast today and just kind of a quick heads up. Uh, There is a little bit of swearing in this episode, so you might want to earmuff the kids as I do not edit that stuff out. So uh, Merry Christmas and enjoy. Three, two, one. All right. Today, we are recapping my South Dakota mule deer hunt, and I am joined by the host of the Missouri Woods and Water podcast, Nate Thompson. Thompson, Thomas, I'm an idiot. Nate Nate Thomas, man. Hey, what's up? Hey, man. How's it going? It's going good. Going good, man. Um, You done Christmas shopping yet? Uh, Yeah, I got done actually yesterday with my dad. So 
I'm done. Yeah. Uh, I, I love my wife. I don't Christmas shop. That's all I'm going to say. Like, <laughs> I, I might buy something for my wife, but my wife takes care of everything else. She buys for my mom. She buys for my dad. And uh, I feel like that's worth it in the long run. Oh, if I had to deal with Christmas, <laughs> I'd be in trouble. I mean, every year, I, my wife pretty much knows what I'm going to get her. I try to think of something like a big boy, you know, and try yeah. to think of something cool, but it pretty well never works. Uh, <laughs> this, year, this year is funny enough, man. I actually thought of two really great ideas for her. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I thought of them, I found out someone else bought them for her. So oh, really? I was kind of proud of um, one of them was a, uh, double drink dispenser. Okay. Which is for like parties and stuff. She had talked about that. And then, um, I was going to get her a long range, uh, what are those? Like a lens for her camera. Okay. She into photography. And, uh, she just got a nice one for the family stuff. She takes pictures of the kids and things like that. And yeah. The, the older ones are starting to get into sports. So I had this great idea, man. I mean, I was so happy with myself and I picked it out and then my sister-in-law went to help me with it and found out she already had one. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the way it works though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I tell you what, I, uh, I don't know what your, your, you know, your upbringing was like, but my, my parents got divorced when I was in second grade. Okay. So then I was young Christmas Christmases from that point on were different, right? I mean, kids are always kind of excited about Christmas presents and we always got Christmas presents, but they were nothing like we didn't get a lot of them and they were never like anything quality. It was like one toy from Santa and then socks and underwear type of deal. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm not the kind of person who really gets into the gift giving part of it. I'm more about the the family aspect of it. So when sure. my when my wife sits here and asks me, oh, well, what do I got the kids this, 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 and this. What else do you think we should get them? I'm like, that's enough. <laughs> like, have you seen our basement? It's just a storage room of toys that they don't even play with anymore. So... I'm the, I'm the, I'm kind of a Grinch when it comes to, uh, the Christmas presents. And I'm just like, they don't need any more plastic toys that they play with for one day. And then it, they're done with, uh, I get that. I mean, my wife, I would, I would say she goes overboard, but for instance, this last weekend I had three bicycles to put together. And <laughs> when I got done with it, I told my wife, I said, if you, ever buy them a bike again tell me about it and i will go to the store and buy the floor model <laughs> so i don't have to mess with these damn things again oh man i love it and i mean it's that was three and a half solid hours of my life i'll never see again right and <laughs> so and my dad if he ever hears this will understand when it comes to christmas presents he is the biggest asshole in the world because he will buy my kids the loudest air horn noise making siren devices whatever it is that he can find and when he unwraps them he's not looking at the kids he's looking at me with a smile on his face like he gets off on my pain because oh. he's like yeah well, you know this is what i had to go through when you were a kid so now i'm making sure that you have to go through the same thing oh i've got several family members that are doing that to me sure yeah <laughs> Yeah, everything we have makes freaking noise, and and you know what's but here, Dan, and if you haven't figured this out yet, I don't know how to help you, but 
the mysterious disappearance of oh, batteries yeah. and breaking the toy very minimally so that it won't make that noise anymore and just telling the kids, hey, <laughs> you're just going to have to play with it, buddy. You know, it's 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 fine. still works. It just doesn't make the noise. Right. Right. Dug it over. <laughs> yeah. I'd like that to be the case, but the Sportsman's Nation is sponsored by Interstate Batteries. So <laughs> <laughs> we have nothing but batteries around the house. Yeah, that's a problem for you then. Yeah, <laughs> that is, that is. Well, that's our, what, five minutes of bullshit before we get into the episode. But um, we, we could have an entire episode about Christmas presents all we, in itself. Yeah, or the, the mental, br- or the, the breakdowns that the kids will have on Christmas morning or Christmas day. You know, like my daughter, God bless her heart, she's a very sweet, kind being, but she she is the kind of person who says exactly what is on her mind. And we have her Christmas list that she made and it is hanging on the refrigerator right now. And when we open it up uh, Christmas, you know, the Christmas present, she will look at the first thing she's going to do is go over to her Christmas list and just remind me and my wife that she did not get this and this and this and this off of her list that she wanted and question that. Like, why didn't I get these things? (laughs) What part of you comes out when you hear that question? I uh, mean, are you <laughs> the well, what part comes out or what part stays in? Like the ultimate What are you saying to yourself oh, at fu- that moment? Oh, fuck you. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I and I'm sorry for the language, but in my head I'm saying I'm looking at her dead in her face and I'm going, "Well, you know, I'm saying, sweetie, you know, that's not the whole purpose of Christmas and this and that and this and that." And inside I'm saying, I'm saying that to her face you know just like yeah well she's not the only kid that way i've got several that are (laughs) right my my 13 year old daughter will literally make hundreds of copies of her christmas list Mm -hmm. and revise it and send us a new copy and revise it oh and she's emailing this shit to us man (laughs) i mean she's 13 she knows how to do that and i'm not ready for a teenager yet and i know that when i actually do get my daughter to that age if she survives that long that i like i i'm going to have to calm myself down by taking like some kind of prescribed tranquilizer because i'm not the kind of guy who likes to back down in arguments and she does not back down in arguments and we already argue a lot so when when it comes to these arguments with you know a teenager who has a little bit more of a developed brain, I'm probably going to lose some of those debates, but still I, you know, I'll just stomp my foot and say, I'm the dad raw. Yeah. A a more developed brain, (laughs) uh, hormones running through her body. Yeah. Like you wouldn't believe. And then the, the waterworks just happen and you start feeling like an asshole after you, you say something. Right. (laughs) Cause then they're crying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Just let me just ask me how it goes and you, you you'll be ready for it. Okay. All right. I'm well I may I may give you a, a call when I'm hiding in my closet on Christmas morning going, What should I do? What should I I'm do? Not, I'm not saying the advice I would give you would be the right advice, <laughs> but I'll give you advice. I give you some kind of advice, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So um we are I just got back from my South Dakota mule deer hunt and it was a a very unique and exciting experience for me. And that's what we're going to talk about today. 
And um, I'm, I'm sitting here throughout, you know, last week, I think I reached out to you and said, hey, man, what are you doing uh, on Tuesday? And let's uh, get this thing recorded. And you're yeah. like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. And uh, and I was thinking of all these things to to say and talk about. And um, eventually you're going to kind of take this over. But I kind of have this question because you went on a, a kind of a difficult elk hunt uh, this year. And I found myself on these hunts, I was, I was getting close to deer. I was, you know, I, I had a couple good stocks and I was definitely running into some obstacles, but did you ever come to a point in any of your elk hunts, whether it was this year or previous years or hell, even your whitetail season, when you were just kind of thinking to yourself, man, I, I don't even know what decision to make right now. Cause you, your, oh. your brain is almost tied in a knot. Yeah. This elk season for us, that was the entire season. And, and actually I had two separate chips sort of like you with your South Dakota mule deer. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, from day one, it was, I was questioning every decision that we made that I made. Uh, it, it was, it was a cluster, you know what, yeah. to say the least. And yeah, you get to the point where you don't ever want to stop, right? Like you want to go out every day Yeah. And, because hunting is just that. I mean, it, anything can change in a matter of minutes. But you wake up at whatever, 3.35 in the morning or whatever time we're trying to wake up to get to, up to the mountain. And you, you sit there for a second and you're like, this is going to suck. Like, that's the only thing you think for yeah. a moment. And, yeah, it was it was a weird year as far as elk go. I never got on anything. I never even saw an elk, uh, not once. And uh, you can get discouraged other than the fact that you, you know you're in the backcountry and you're, you're happy. Uh, but yeah, I definitely had those feelings, no doubt. Um, so I got a question for you though. Yeah. So I got lucky. So if you followed along at all with our elk season, we, half of our group didn't get to go because of COVID. Yeah. So when I got home, I, I knew I was home and one thing led to another and without making it a long story, I got permitted, I'll say from my wife, (laughs) to go back to Colorado with the guys that didn't get to go the first time. And, and we went to some, some different areas and it all happened within like a three day period. Uh, Andy thought he was going to get to go, which is one of my co-hosts on the podcast. And I just kind of put a little bug in my wife's ear. Hey, Andy might get to go, yeah. but he doesn't want to go by himself. And she's like, well, who are you thinking is going to go with him? And, <laughs> You know, I'm like, um, me maybe. <laughs> and you could see her like almost get pissed off. And then, and then it, it actually, I was so surprised. It was like, yeah, you could do that. Right. And I, I, I did this whole justification, right? <laughs> I, I came back, I came back three days early. So actually if I go with Andy total wise, I'm only going to be gone one more day than I was before. <laughs> and, and shit it if if it didn't work, dude, like I know, right? That Friday, I was I was on my way, <laughs> and that was even a worse trip than the first one. But we won't get into that, right? So, my first question to you is, what kind of conversations from the first time you got back from South Dakota till you made that announcement uh, that you were getting to go again? How did you how did you work that out? What happened there? Yeah, so I went 
the first week of October. So I, I drove out to South Dakota on the last day of September. I hiked in and then I started hunting. I started my trip for the very first week, right? So then I had basically three work, three weeks of doing nothing until my rut vacation, right? And then I killed my deer. So I was only gone on my rut vacation for like five or six days, right? Yeah. Then I had all of November, all of the first two weeks of December or the first week of December. And then I went, so all the, all of them are kind of spaced out. Oh shit. I forgot about Michigan. Cause I went to Michigan too. Yeah, so that's right. I went to Michigan the, so I went one, the first week of October was in South Dakota. The third week of, of October was in, in Michigan. And then the first I had for, I had it scheduled, but the first two weeks were going to be rutcation here in Iowa, but I only used seven of them. So then I had a, a one month basically window where, you know, I said to myself, well, man, if I, if I take out early, I could potentially work in another South Dakota trip, but I didn't want to go because like, I didn't want to go during the rut because it would have packed everything in tight, too tight. And I wanted to maybe wait until after the shotgun or under uh, the South Dakota rifle season was over, give it a week and then get back out there. Yeah. So I straight up, you know, ever, do you remember when you were a kid and you got in trouble at school and it was, if your parents find out before you tell them you're in bigger trouble than if you just straight up kind of tell tell your parents what happened you might hear about this mom yeah. yeah so here i am pacing in the hallway like how do i do this what am i going to do i want to i want to try to do this so I, I got this this courage and i was like all right here we go here we go and then i walk up and i'm like hey honey um <laughs> you know like and i and i said hey i'd like to go back to south dakota in december and and give it another shot and try to fill my tag okay that's fine and i was like are you serious? What's going on here? I looked around thinking I was being videotaped or, and then the first thing that popped into my head was she's cheating on me. She's done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's no way she's just going to let me go like that. And I'll be honest, man. She, she was cool about it. Uh, she's like, yeah, okay. Well, as here's what I, I need you to help me find daycare. You need to reach out to my mom to see if, uh, um, I need you to reach out to my mom to see if she can come and help out, uh, set up a babysitter. Because at that point, the kids had been removed from school, right? They shut down our school because of COVID. Well, yeah, so you had to find something to do with them right. while she's working. Right, yeah. absolutely. So I didn't really know what was going to happen. And if her mom decided not to come because of COVID, then I was screwed. If I couldn't get this other high school girl to come over while I was gone, then I was screwed. So I had I had this this small little tunnel of light that I, all these things had to come true in order for me to make it back to this trip. Well, long story short, my my uh, mother in law she came, but they opened school up that Monday, so uh, the Monday of my trip, so. I kind of had a win-win scenario where the day, the daycare provider could not come, but they opened up school. So my daughter and my oldest son were able to go back to school full time, leaving my mother-in-law to only really have to watch my, uh, my youngest son throughout the day. And my, right. wa and my wife kind of 
you know, works from home too. So she was able to help out a little bit, but so that was, that was kind of the path to me being able to, to, to make it back and get to go. And I had leftover money to be honest with you. I, you know, I put together this budget every year of, um, of what I can afford and what I can do throughout the year and, and the trips and the tags that I can take. And I had enough money left over to, and I had all the gear and, and food already. So the only thing I needed to do was pay for hotel rooms and gas. And that was the only additional money that I, that I spent. So I'd say that was about 500, 500 total dollars for a week in South Dakota. Cause I was, I was staying in some ho- hotels, dude, that one did not even have a shower curtain in it. So I had to take, so I had to take showers with my back kind of angled to, <laughs> to, to the, the bathtub. And you know, like wh- when they're charging what $50 for one night in a hotel room, you can tell that, you know, your expectations better be pretty low. Don't expect much more than maybe lukewarm water, right? And a and a bed, right? Yeah. And uh, I've been in some nasty hotels where I slept on top of the covers in my clothes before, but this was these were a lot cleaner than that. Right. Yeah. When you when you first, uh, I guess, announced that you were getting to go back, and this is the first time I've asked you that question, I thought, I wonder how he swung that. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, like me, when I my wife has already called me out on this when, when I'm getting ready to ask her something that I know she's not excited about. Yeah. She gets called a different name by me. Apparently it's, Hey babe, (laughs) you know, or, or whatever. Do you have like a different, like all of a sudden your wife is aware that you're about to ask her something stupid. Right. Uh, you know, cause I, that ran through my mind is I wonder if Dan had an extra, a new name for her, you know, a special sweet name so yeah. that he could butter her up and not sounds really. like she responded the same way as my wife did. It was like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And you're, it sounds like you were just as, surpri- as surprised as I was when it, uh, on the elk, the oh, elk yeah. hunt. And so. there's times, and I'm sure every once in a while your wife gets the same w- way with, you know, like, you know, grumpy old dad around the house, you know, and just go away. Right. You know, maybe I was grumpy. I just hit her, hit her right that day to where she was, you know, she was okay with it. And, uh, yeah, man. So that, that's, that's, she's, she didn't have a problem with it as long as all the things lined up, all the things lined up. So, uh, you know, man, it was like December 12th. I think it was, uh, that I, that I, got the opportunity and packed up and head out there, man. But it sucked because I drew, I drive an hour North to my dad's house to beat the snowstorm that we had on that day. And, yeah. Uh, on, uh, December 12th, excuse me. And, but the, the snowstorm moves North. It, it stay it went further North than it was expected. So, and I don't know if you've ever had to drive multiple hours in, heavy windy blizzard like conditions but it sucks i mean it's exhausting it is yeah it, you're right it's exhausting and you don't know if like your vehicle is meant to do what it's doing and then you got like some crazy really experienced semi trucker you know driving by <laughs> at 70 miles an hour and here you are going 40 going oh my god i'm gonna die yeah no i i so here's here's the really cool thing is you are awesome at doing stories on Instagram and I pretty well lived vicariously through you (laughs) 
when you went back to South Dakota, I mean, I watched, you know, every day I'd almost look forward to what's he got going on yeah. or whatever. And, uh, I mean, I saw I pretty well know what happened because yeah. you, you did a good job of documenting it. And I, I saw that story on the, the, the snowstorm drive and I'm just like, that's got to suck. I wonder yeah. if he's thinking about turning around or, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, so, but you did make it cause then you posted, uh, you know, you finally got out of it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, did you pretty well, well, I know this, you, you went back to the same general area that you were yeah. at the first time. Cause you had talked to that, uh, that landowner right. about going back. Right. Right. And is that where you started? Yeah. So man, I, I shaved an hour off my drive. Well, the, by driving an hour North, I thought I was going to sh- save an hour off my drive, but then I had to add on another hour driving what would have taken me 45 minutes to drive in, you know, in that snowstorm. So I, I ended up getting there at the same time that I would have, if I would have driven from my house in normal conditions, if that makes sense. So, so, you know, I'm just hauling ass as fast as I can to get out there. Cause my goal is to get out there, kill something quick and turn around and come home as fast as possible. And so I, I, I pull off the road, I get there, I pull off the road onto some public and I mean, I'm a hundred yards off the interstate and I just take my clothes off, put my hunting gear on, drive another 35 miles to the north, get out of my truck and I, I go back to that piece of private ground that I got access to the last time I was there. The night before yeah. I called the landowner and I'm just like, hey man, um, I'm thinking about coming back to... Uh, you know, coming back to the area. And I was curious if you had, you know, if, if I could get permission to hunt your property. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Come on, come on back. And if you see me check in and uh, we were good to go. Right. So I get there, I pull into the, I pull into the uh, property and I run into one of his uh, farm hands and he's lo- loading these big bales on a flatbed uh, trailer. And he goes, well, see that pen of calves over there? I want to, I want you to stay away from those calves because if they get spooked, they will run through the fence and then we'll have to fix the fence and we got to do all this. So just don't let them see you. Don't let them, you know, I said, okay, is I, I'll definitely stay away from that area. Can I go this way? Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. So I start walking and there's a whole nother pen of cattle. They're not calves. They're just I don't know, regular cattle, I guess. And they, they're kind of, I don't want to say they're spooked, but they're kind of a little nervous. They're not running or anything. And so I go up into the hills and perch myself on a, a little lookout area, and the cattle can't see me at that point. And I'm, I glass, and I run into a, a handful of, you know, a handful of deer really close, a really good two by two buck that I would have shot if he was about 20 yards closer or shot at if uh, he was 20 yards closer. And then it started to snow just a little bit. And then the flood of does started, uh, does and forky started coming out of all the drainages down to this, this uh, ag field that was on the neighboring property. So I just watched this parade and I bet you I probably saw a hundred deer that night all coming through and no, no bucks or anything like that. And so dark comes and I'm 
I'm like, all right, well, let me head back. And uh, what I want to do is I want to kind of get down in my truck before light so I can, or before total darkness so I can drive the property borders to see what deer are on the farm or on the property and the neighboring properties and in the egg and whatever so I can, you know, make a decision on tomorrow. Well, as I'm walking down these cattle that, you know, he didn't tell me to stay away from that pen. Sure. They start to spook and they're, they're running at this point. They're, they didn't go through a fence, but they're running. And I'm like, oh man, like, okay, well, that's what cattle do sometimes. No big deal. Well, I go back into town and my whole goal was to go back there the next morning and try to make a play on that two by two buck or shoot a, a doe. Because on this trip, my goal was to fill my tag by any means necessary. And I was going to shoot Put a, a legal mule deer on the ground. Yes. Doe, right. buck, white tail doe, white tail buck, anything. Like I really wanted to shoot a, a mule deer just so I could officially become multi-species. You know what I mean? But if anything gave me an opportunity within shooting range, that's what I was sending my arrow at. Well, I'm at a, I'm at a, a restaurant picking up some food and I get a call from the landowner. And he's pissed at me for some reason. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, what happened? He's like, tell me exactly what happened tonight. And I said, okay, um, you know, I ran into your hand. He told me to stay away from this pen of calves. And I came up, you know, here and all these things. And he's like, I am really unhappy with you right now. And uh, you cannot go back and spook my calves, man. Like, well, come to find out, he's telling me that that other pen of calves or uh, that other pen of um, cattle that the guy didn't tell me to stay away from. Yeah, they were pregnant females in their second trimester. And he was telling me that if they spook and run, then their calves will be, you know, basically have stillborn calves where they'll break a fence and they'll have to round them up. And he's saying that I spooked them coming out of the out of the. Uh, hills and in a way I did I I don't think they were too terribly spooked but they were spooked nonetheless right and uh, he's like I can't have that I can't have that and I'm just like listen man I do not want to cause any problems I I I will just stay away from your farm if that's the case and he and he just kept on like to the point where I thought this dude was going to tell me that if any of his uh, livestock were damaged, that I was going to have to pay for it. And that scared the shit out of me because, yeah, uh, yeah like that's not cheap. Right. No. <laughs> I mean, you think a mule deer hunts expensive, uh, like a outfitted hunt. Imagine having to pay for however many injured calves and he was telling me about you know if they're born stillborn or if they they trip on a pothole or if they get caught in a fence they can break their spine and all this stuff and i'm just like listen man i am going to stay away like i'm just you know i really apologize for that i i talked to your hand he didn't mention anything about this i'm just gonna stay away from your farm man he keeps chirping and, and i'm just like okay we're done and the, the phone I call told you I'm going to stay away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and I don't, I didn't want to be rude to the guy because this was his farm. Right. And so sure. I, I told him, I mean, he, at that point he, he didn't even say no still. He was, he didn't tell me to leave his farm. He's like, you need, if you're going to hunt, you got to do over here or over here. And I'm just like, listen, man, 
you know, if, if you're going to act like this on an accident, then I'm not going to, right. Then I, I, I don't want to be responsible for something bigger, even if it's not me who does it. Right. Right. So I, I just made that decision right then and there that I'm not going to hunt on that piece of private anymore. So, Wait, and that was day one. That was, that was day 0.5 when I pulled right into, you know, like I pulled in, I hunted and I got back right. and he was off doing shores somewhere and then came back and noticed, I, I noticed something different about his cattle, I guess. So, um, I was just like, okay, man, I'm done. I'm, I'm out of here. Well, yeah. so at that point I had to say to myself, all right, well, my whole plan of hunting this high concentrated population of deer, this herd that is right there in good killable position is out the window now. Right. So I have to rethink all my, all my opportunities. So in the mornings, and this was kind of my theme running into the, uh, running into the whole week was drive around in the mornings, locate deer, either on private or public. And if it's on private, find the landowner and go knock on the door. If it's on public, wait for him to go back to bed and then make a move on him. Right. So that's what I did. I drove around in the mornings and then in the evenings, I, uh, you know, I was looking at some of the, or I, I would go and make stocks or go into where I saw the deer. And here's what I found is all the deer, like the cattle out there play a huge role in where the, the mule deer are located unless it's on big chunks of, well, even, even on the bigger chunks of private or, uh, excuse me, public, um, wherever the cattle are, the deer are not. And that makes sense. It's yeah. kind of like, I mean, whitetail here don't necessarily love being around cattle. Exactly. Right. Will they, will they tolerate them? Yes, but they're not going to be, uh, you know, bedding in the same draws as them, you know, or in the same food sources as, as they are throughout the, the day or whatever. Yeah. So what I'm finding out is I'm, I'm going to all these pe- pieces of public, whether it's state ground, BLM ground, or like, uh, um, state leased ground, ever, all of those have grazing rights to them by somebody and the cattle. And I have absolutely nothing against farmers or cattle farmers or anything like that, because I come from a family who, you know, worked the fields and they, sure. they had cattle and feeder pigs and, you know, so I get it right. I, I understand, but this public land that everybody or that certain people can have grazing rights to is mowed down to the dirt in some of these yeah. places. And there is like, there's no grass. So they switch them up and they, they, they're in the, you know, they're in the public land and then they take them off or they're on their private and then they put them on, on the public or however they, but they just work this. It's almost like it's overgrazed at some of, at some of these places. So all of the public that I started to check out because my goal was, Hey, on this trip, let's check out some of the smaller public pieces to see if, you know, they're overlooked like the forties, the hundreds, the two hundreds and not the 16,000 acres of public that everybody knows about. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I started doing that and I was finding that that was the scenario for most of those smaller pieces. Those smaller parcels was cattle were in them and they were in them 
tight. Like if it was a if it was a hundred acre if it was a hundred acre uh, uh, piece of private or public, they had a hundred cattle in there or however many cattle in there work it just basically eating all the grass out of it right now. And then they'd rotate it back into a, a different piece. And I was, I was not having luck. And I did that for, you know, a couple days, right. Where I would drive around and knock or call for permission. And it was either, no, I have, <laughs> I have family who hunt it or I have it leased out to an outfitter. And there's an outfitter out there that, has i don't i have no idea how many acres they lease but they lease a lot of ground because every person i a lot of the people i talked to said no 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 you know like no we lease no we lease no we lease and it was all with the same company so that's got to be well and and on the cattle i mean i'm the same way as you like i don't the the cattle piss you off but it's not because of the rancher or the cattle right it's just the situation. I, same thing happened to us in Colorado. That was one of the other problems we had was every year I had been there with the exception now of the last two, the cattle had normally been taken down out of what I call, you know, the high country, yeah. which even the low country is higher than anything I've ever hunted in. But, and this year, dude, the middle of the mountain that we like to hunt is like 10,300 feet. Yeah. And I actually, almost drew on a freaking cow that was all the way up in there <laughs> it is they've never even been close yeah. to that dark timber and and that thick dark timber you would not think cows are up there and all of a sudden you drop down to this bench of 10-3 and just a, a herd of them and yeah. you're like what well the elk aren't going to be here wasn't it and so it was dry can, in colorado this year and that's yeah, probably yeah. why the the cows were up higher too no doubt and you know, it's just one of them deals. I wish I knew the actual rules because I'd always heard that the the cows are supposed to be out of public hunting areas at a certain date. Yeah. But that's just been hearsay. I don't actually know if that's true or not. But, you know, it's one of them deals where I'm like, well, this blows. And that, that's got to be the same way you felt. Yeah. When you, you know, you get into those hundred acre spots and there's a hundred head of cattle. Yeah, especially when you're e-scouting, right? And you're looking on your maps because you can't do boots on the ground on on some of these places. Right. And you look and you go, oh my God, this looks money. Look at the terrain. Look at this. Look at that. And then you pull up and you're like, okay, it looks like cattle used to be here. You get to the top of the hill to look on the next bunch of drainages and it's just loaded with cattle. And there's just cow shit all over and you're like, <laughs> oh my God, right? Yeah. So, so, so I, might, I might be jumping the gun here asking you this question. Yeah. But... One thing, so you ever get pissed off for somebody else for for no reason? What do you mean? Well, so your story one day, and I don't remember exactly where you're at in the the hunt yet. You had went and asked a landowner for permission, and you just got your ass handed to you. Yeah. Was, Was that about this time? Yeah, so I went two or three days of, um of bouncing around doing that whole, you know, jump into private or, uh, you know, if I see a good deer on private, find the landowner, see if I can get permission. No, yeah. you know, no, 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 no. So I'm on my way back. I'm, I'm going, I'm going from the North side of this whole area that I hunt all the way to the Southwest side of this whole area that I've kind of made my range. And I, uh, 
I drive by the farm that I, I, I had permission to, or used to have permission to, or, or decided not to hunt anymore. And on the property right across from it, I saw a bedded buck up in this drainage. And I'm like, that's it. That's a stockable. That is a stockable, uh, you know, buck turn around, go find the landowner, find where he lives. Couldn't find a phone number. So I knock it, knock on the door. And it's like, you know, I actually drove around for a little bit to wait for eight o'clock because I felt (laughs) for some reason, I feel like eight o'clock in the morning is after eight o'clock, especially if you're a rancher or a farmer, you're up, right? You're doing chores, you're doing something. And most of the time I don't, I, I don't know about anybody else, but my grandparents were out the door before eight o'clock every single day doing chores or, or something. Right. Right. Oh yeah. So I pull up to the house, I get out and before I can even make it to the door, I can just see the utter disgust on this guy's face. And I just said to myself, Oh shit, like (laughs) what's going to happen? So he opens the door and that's when I hear, uh, to his garage, right? He opens the door to his garage and there's another door that separates me from the outside. And, and I can hear him cussing at me already. And I'm just like, Oh my God, what, like, what did I do to make this guy's day so mad? Like I, I interrupted him reading his newspaper and drinking his coffee. I have a feeling that's what he was doing. Okay. So I point to his door and he's like, dumbass, open the door. Like, uh, like, like, dude, where I'm from, you wait until someone invites you in to, you know, to do this. And, and, you know, you don't cuss people out. Well, anyway, so I opened the door to his garage and this dude's just laying into me about all this stuff. And he's like, I go, uh, are you, you know, are you so-and-so? And he's like, uh, you should know you have everything on your phone, right? I was told you have everything on your phone. And right there it clicked that he's had a conversation now with the other landowner that borders his property. So, so I said to myself, Hey man, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I apologize if I've upset you, but I was curious. I shouldn't even ask. I should have just turned around and walked away if I could <laughs> yeah. do it again. But I'm curious if you allow bow hunting on your property. And he goes, are you so-and-so? Did you used to be, did you used to hunt on so-and-so's farm? I said, yeah, um, he has some cattle in a pen. And uh, we decided that, you know, I'm not going to hunt on his farm because I don't want to spook his cattle. Yeah, he called me about that. So the answer is no. And he, then he started cussing me out again. And I'm just like, listen, man, first off, I'm, you know, and I just played, I just killed him with kindness at that point after that. Hey man, I'm really sorry. Hopefully uh, you have a good day. Uh, Merry Christmas, all this stuff. And he didn't even know how to react after that because (laughs) I think what he wanted was a fight, to be honest with you. He wanted me to start chirping back at him and I, I didn't do it. I just, I, I had already lost at that point. You know what I mean? So you're a bigger man than me because, and here, like I was mad. So what I'm, what is, what I was getting at with that question was i was pissed off for you because i was pissed i was hot i get when 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 you do things the right way yeah you know you you're not you're not trespassing on people's property you you hunt the right way um you feel like you're a good person yeah right and 
to be treated like that, uh, myself, it would, would, I would almost feel like every other word out of my mouth would be bleeped Yeah. because I think he'd get me so angry that I would have a hard time controlling myself. Oh yeah. So well done on that part because I mean, I wasn't in the situation. I might've been actually maybe a little scared for my life at that moment too. I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere and dude's cussing you out on his front porch and you're by yourself. Yeah. But, uh, Pre-kid. Yeah, it's just I was so upset for you, and I was curious, you know, how you handled it and yeah. what you know what happened there, and uh, so you obviously you know killed him with kindness, and yeah. he didn't know how to react, and that got you out of the situation. It sounds like then. Well, I mean, I just turned around and walked away at that point. I mean, yeah, I'll be honest with you, I was fired up. Like forty-year-old Dan Johnson, he doesn't want any trouble. He just turns around and walks away. Late, <laughs> late twenties, early thirties, Dan Johnson probably would have thrown something at the guy or you know what I mean? Or probably maybe something a little worse, but I just decided, you know, this is not worth it. I ended up driving away and I'm thinking this whole time that other landowner called this guy to tell, just to tell him that I spooked his cattle. And what, what comes out of that other than this guy is probably making up some kind of, I don't want to say lie, but, um, What's it called when you fluff a story up a little bit? Like embellish. Yeah, embellishing the truth and making it sound like I did that on purpose. Like, oh man, I told him to stay away and he didn't stay away and he ruined, he's going to cost me thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, which none of that happened. Yeah. So I made that decision right then and there that I was out of the area. I'm, I'm just done hunting in this area and I'm going to go start hunting. Uh, a different piece. So that afternoon, or I, I went to a big piece of public, uh, like I want to say 16,000 acres of public. And I, what happened was on the maps, I found an ag field of sunflowers and out there, you know, there's sunflower fields, all sunflower seed fields all over the place. So I, and it was this big giant L right. And the tall part of the L was between like this Creek and uh, the private ag ground, but there's all these wooded drainages in there. And I said, you know what, you know, based off what I've seen, the deer are working up out of these drainages and they're hitting this ag. So I'm going to go walk back there and see what I can't find, uh, you know, coming out of these drainages. And long story short, I ended up going to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm walking all the way back through this, this flat, this really flat ground before I get to the, the drainages that lead into this Creek. And then I had to take a hard right. And I walked maybe another mile in behind these ag fields to get to these drainages. And I started popping up in these drainages and glass and, you know, and by that time the deer were already on their feet and I, and I located a, a really another good two by two buck, you know, I'm not going to say anything about mature because like, like I told you, anything within range was getting an arrow on this trip. So I ended up, um, watching him and these two does crest this hill. And then I followed him into the next little drainage and then he'd walk down and crest this hill. And then, and they were staying really low because it was somewhat windy and it was cold. This whole trip, Nate, (laughs) <laughs> there there was highs in in the tens i mean w- yeah. there, there were two or three days where it didn't get above 10 degrees and that 
will drain a person's energy. I don't know if you've ever done spot and stock in extreme cold temps, but it is, it's a unique experience trying to stay cool and then trying to keep warm when you're, it's like walking to your tree stand in a late season hunt and then sitting there, but then having to move again 10 minutes later. And it's just, it was a unique experience for me. And I, I felt like me and my gear handled it pretty well, but it was just a, a unique experience. So, you know, have to layer up, take a layer off, layer up, t- layer off. Yeah. And you just, you just kept doing that. And, uh, so anyway, this buck and these two does are coming, uh, they, they go down this drainage. So I make a move on them to, to, jump over to the next or in, I'm in this next drainage with them and I'm thinking they're going to head up. And what I was going to do was going to go down and, and just flank them until they got up to the egg field. And then I was going to make a hard run right at them and try to get ahead of them so that they would kind of walk in front of me. And I'd kind of position myself behind a pine tree. And as they walked in front of me, I'd get a, I'd get a shot at them. Well, instead of doing what they did, they took a hard right and they were, they started walking right towards me. And I made the play to where I had, I was going to get low thinking they were going to work their way up to the ag field. And I got too low and they, they walked right up the bottom of the drainage, the lowest point, the whole way. Mm -hmm. And I watched them just through cedar trees right at 10 yards right in front of me and I had no shot the whole time so that was like the first real stock I had the entire trip and they I I went low and instead of them going high above the cedar trees to where I could get a shot on the opposite side of the drainage at like 40 yards they stayed low and I didn't have a shot at 10 yards I I could have spit on one of the does she was so close to me and it just, and then she stayed low and then they worked themselves up in the field. And by the time they went up into the fields, it, you know, it's too late because it's so flat up there. You don't have any, you don't have any place to hide. And well, that's what I was going to ask yeah. you is, I mean, you've got to feel good about yourself that you got within 10 yards of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But how to get off, to, well, it's on topic, but yeah. how, how different is it? So I've, I've never spotted and stalked in wide open spaces before. Right. Like, so let's just try to compare it to whitetail hunting. If I've whitetail hunted at night and I see a a deer 300 yards away, I can slip into timber and do what I need to do to get to where I need to go. Right. Right. Well, out in the open, like you are, I mean, you don't have that luxury. You don't have cover. What's it like? I mean, is it, is it daunting the the first time you ever really started doing it? I know this is your second trip now this year, but I mean, how do you even process it mentally when you go, okay, they're this far away. What the hell am I going to do to get there? There's a freaking one set of trees in between me and them. Right. You know, what goes through your mind? Well, the good thing about what these deer do and what, what hunters do is the deer never really skyline themselves. And the, the hunter should really never skyline himself unless he knows where the deer are at and he can crest a ridge without them, him seeing so, and, and the other thing is where I was at and you, I don't know if you heard me talk about this in my, uh, Instagram story, but there are so many layers for these deer to hide in that you take five steps, you can glass up a whole new drainage that you didn't even think was there. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you have to look behind you too, because as you're walking, you turn around and this happened the last, uh, it was the last morning and I'm walking away from my truck and I'm walking into this piece of, uh, uh, public hunting. And I look around, I look behind me and there's a, a really good buck staring right at me at about a hundred yards. And he popped out of this drainage that was behind me. And I have a feeling, uh, my scent got caught into it, was blown into it. Cause I was walking with my face in the wind, but I didn't see it because I was kind of focused on walking straight. And really when, when you're out there, you kind of have to have a 360 focus to not only see what's in front of you, but watch your backside too, to see what's, you know, what's, yeah. what has been exposed from you changing elevations, changing, uh, levels, you know, you take five steps to the right. And what you're, what, you know, you're, you're trying to slowly crest one ridge, but what you don't know is to your right or to your left, you you've been skylined by, by deer on either side of you that way. So it's really, it's really a learning experience on out there to not stay skylined and to be able to really slow down. I mean, with whitetail hunting, you can, you can walk to your tree stand really fast, get up in it and you're fine right trees trees are covering you out you know in iowa and in missouri and whatnot but out there everything's got to go slow because these animals are designed to identify movement you know skylined their their sense of smell is on point so you have to play the wind hard out there right you can't you can't let the wind you can't let their eyes beat you so so what what i did was you walk to these you learn that if high ground is on the east side of a drainage and low ground is on the west side of the drainage, that an east wind, the deer are going to be bedded up in there. And, a, and on a west wind, they're going to be bedding on an east-facing slope. Does that make sense? Just like yeah. a, a deer, just like a whitetail would be. Yeah. So what you do is, what I did anyway, is I, I, you're walking a mile away, three quarters of a mile, half a mile away. And then you glass into that drainage that the wind is blown over. And that's where the deer would always be in, in these leeward size uh, of these uh, drainages. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's how I would locate them. And then I would take a big loop around so they wouldn't see me. And then I would, I would put the stocks on them from there. Right. Start and working in, start, yeah. start working my way in with the wind to my face and then just coming really slow. Like I'm talking one step glass, one step Ooh. glass, one step glass until the point where you're looking down and now you see this drainage is empty or you, you can see a tip of an ear and then you can locate them from there and make a stock on them there or, or, uh, you know, something. And I'll tell you this. Out when I was there in October, the does were in groups. Uh, the bucks were still kind of in, in maybe some of their bachelor groups, but for the most part, they they were by themselves. But now, what you have uh, in December out there, is, and this is what I found: you have multiple doe groups all bedding together in one giant doe group, and I'm talking twenty to fifty deer together That's at 20 one. Twenty to fifty eyes and ears. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So times two right and so so you're talking about all these eyes looking at you so i would get i got busted 
all the time by deer that I couldn't see or I didn't notice. Um, they were, they, you know, they were crammed into a little nook and cranny of, of, uh, of a little, I don't know. Just like a, like depression in the ground. Yes, exactly. Half the time, right. Yep. Yeah. You, you just glance at it. You don't see anything, but then when you put your, your binoculars up and then, you know, what happens is the whole drainage clears out because one starts running, then they all start running. And, um, and that's, that's kind of how the whole the whole trip was really was me getting back a ways, glassing an area, locating a deer, waiting for them to bed in the mornings, um, or finding them already bedded and trying to make a move on them and either getting busted by does that I didn't see that were, you know, a group of 30 (laughs) that were there or, um, you know, I would make a mistake and, and, or I'd get close to an area and then you get this little breeze on the back of your neck and you're like, shit, it's over. I mean, it's, it's, it's that, it's that subtle of a wind change or swirl. And these deer are in those positions because the wind is, is hitting whatever bed or drainage from all different angles. So they're there for a reason. Right. And it just, uh, that's and that's what I did, and it. I tell you what, this second trip, I definitely learned a lot about how not only the deer move through the terrain, but how I should move through the terrain as well to try to try to get up on them. And um, man, it was uh, it was definitely definitely a learning experience. And I I don't know how many times I'd get really close, and um, what was it the second to last day. I put on a, I saw a small buck. And when I say small buck, I would compare it to a 130 class whitetail, right? Yeah. Um, you could tell it's a small bodied buck. And obviously mule deer antlers are bigger than whitetails from, from my experience. So it looks bigger than what it, you know, it's, it's horns are bigger than what its age reflects. If you're going to compare it to a whitetail, right? So right. I see all these these deer and these bucks um, in this one drainage, and for some reason this buck decided to bed way up on the hill, and all the does were kind of low, and I was like, oh man, that that buck stalkable. So I did what I did. I backed out, put the wind in my favor, popped over the hill, located them. You know, cut another hundred yards off behind another hill popped him up, located, popped him up, located. And you just keep cutting off these chunks until you get close to where you, you kind of go into a stock mode at that point. You're not walking. You're actually, you're, you know, you're taking your time. You're going slower. And the more, the closer you get to these deer, the slower all of your moves, movements have to be. Yeah. So I, I located this buck. I got in, I, I got into about 300 yards of where they were betting and I needed to close the distance another 200 yards. Now you hear people say, dude, I was, I belly crawled for 200 yards. And I always in my head said that ah, bullshit. Nobody does that for 200 yards. Well, dude, I was on my hands and knees or belly crawling for 200 yards. I, I marked it on Onyx and that sucks. Like, like, but I get it. I, I get why people have to do it in order to get close to these deer. Yeah. Um, because 
I had to stay low above below the 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 trees and the drainage. So on the opposite side of this drainage, they couldn't see me. If I was walking, they would have pegged me. But if I was low, they couldn't see me. So I start I start creeping down and getting closer and getting closer. I'm I'm within a hundred yards, and I put my binos up. I can see. Yeah, I can see a group of does. They're they're chilling, right? Um, one was on his feet, or one one of the does were, was on her feet. The others were, you know, kind of really chill in their beds. And then I couldn't see the buck, but I knew he was bedded next to this pine tree on the other side. So I wanted to make sure I was staying above him so my wind wouldn't hit him. So the next hundred yards take like, man, like. 45 minutes, maybe more. And I'm just, I'm That's on, painful. Yeah. And, and I'm on my, I'm on my knees and I'm on my hands and I'm, I'm crawling. I'm going slow and slow. And so I get to the, the bottom and I, I look down and I see this fawn, this fawn mule there kind of doze in the air. Like what's going on with this? And then she, and my, my wind now is in the bottom of this draw. Right. So she caught my, she caught my scent. She's about 70 yards out, but then she went back to feeding. I think she was confused of what was going on. She knew, she knew it was something different, but right. being a fawn, she just might not have known that. Yeah. That it was I was trying to kill her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm creeping up. I finally make it through this wooded draw. And I've, I, I'm at this point thinking, dude, I'm going to pop up and I'm going to see this, this buck's antlers. So it's just like half a step glass, half a step glass. I'm looking for him. I identify the tree that he was bedding. And I'm just like, okay, he's not there. He may be on his feet, you know, down by these does. So this three-hour time frame goes by, and I crest this ridge, and there's not one deer in this drainage. They had all, in that last hundred yards that took an hour, they had all got up. They probably winded me or whatever, and they all, they all, they all were gone, every single one of them. So what? what's funny is I wonder at what point within that stock that they were gone. Like how many minutes or hours did I waste stalking, stalking in on – Stalking a tree. Yeah, stalking yeah. in on something that wasn't there. You know what I mean? Dude, I – like I said, I lived vicariously through you during that, <laughs> that trip. And no shit, and this might be stalker mode a little bit, but I literally was waiting for the refresh on stories – you know, on, mm-hmm. on each of those stories and on that one, you got to the point where you're like, well, there's nothing there. I'm just like, come on. Gosh. Right. You know, right. And I can only imagine how you felt. Right. Three hours into it, you crest and you're like, this, this guy's about to get it. Yeah. And then there's just nothing there. Yeah. Hey, you know, I mean, that's hunting. That's what we signed up for. But it's kind of just like, damn it. Yeah. And, and the other thing that's out there too is you have a lot of time to think because between there's not a lot of towns that have places to stay. And it was way too cold for me to sleep in the back of my truck. Like I just didn't yeah. have the cold weather gear to um, sleep on the public. Like I did in October when it was like 30 degrees or 30 yeah. or 40 degrees. If it was closer to that temperature, I definitely would have. But you know, when the, when the nighttime highs were or the lows were nine degrees, it makes it real tough. Uh, I mean, and I, I try to be a tough guy sometimes, but I'm not dealing with that. You know what I mean? No, I get you. Yep. So that was like the second to last day, man. And then 
the whole the whole trip i went way out west and then i every day you know a couple days i'd stay in one spot then i would head east closer to home and then i'd hunt some public around there head east hunt some public around there head east hunt some public so i was kind of just working my way back and and then it was the last day you know just the last day kind of sneaks up on you and uh i said to myself well now it's time to be just crazy aggressive and uh, i went back to a a piece of ground that I had, uh, uh, that I had saw some deer at the night before. And it was just do what you've always been doing. Walk, find the wind direction, look into the drainages that are downwind of, you know, the wind direction. And while I'm out there, the wind shifted. So now I'm out there already in the, in the, you know, on the land. And I'm, I made these plans for, uh, and it's something I just, I, I didn't pay attention to. I didn't watch the weather or whatever. I get out there and the wind's going, it was going straight west. Now it's going straight southeast. And so it's almost this 360 wind shift. Yeah. And uh, I I was just like, oh my God, like everything is going to be busted. But luckily I found a group of does and a small buck working uh, a drainage that I was in like two days previous. And uh and I ended up uh, locating a good group of deer and I'll just kind of fast forward through this part. You know, I just kind of, I located the, the drainage. I put a marker on Onyx in that drainage. I located a terrain feature or um, uh, some vegetation that really uh, <laughs> stuck out. And I said to myself, okay, I, I just, I'm going, I can't, unless I go way around I can't, it's actually closer for me to go back to my truck, drive down the road, uh, get out of my truck and then make the stock. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So, cause I didn't want to walk behind them. My wind would have eventually blown into the drainage. So it's better to have my truck, just the smell of my truck than, than me. So that's what I did. Walked back to my truck. Well, here I am thinking I'm you know, this is gonna happen. This is gonna happen, and I come. I'm I'm just going slow, making this beautiful stalk in, and I, I was really confident. I pop over and I realize I'm stalking the wrong drainage. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I look because I, I didn't look at Onyx at at that point. I, I look at Onyx and I'm here's my blue dot, and the buck is in the drainage next to next to it. And I'm just like, oh, you are such an idiot. Like, so I wasted like, I wasted 45 minutes just doing that. So then I dropped down, went over to that next drainage. And, um, I had seen the buck on his feet when I was looking through my spotter and he dropped down and then I lost him. And I said, okay, well, he's got to be in these cracks and crevices somewhere. So I look over in this crack through these cracks and crevices. And of course, you know, out there, I'm going really slow. It's another 45 minutes to an hour to kind of really crest this ridge. Glass, 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 glass. And uh, nothing. That that I didn't see a buck. So I, I'm working my way down the drainage. And it was literally, you can, it's amazing to me how much ground or area can be exposed in just one step out there so i'm looking at all these rock formations i take one step and the whole buck bedded buck is in my range of view now just with one step Jeez. yeah and that's how fast i came up on him 
I mean, I was going real slow, but it was just one step and it exposed all this buck. And so as I'm taking this backward step to hide myself, he, he looks up and he pegs me and, and I must not have gotten all the way hid. It must've been my elbow. Cause the whole thing was okay. Range him. Okay. 40 yards, draw back, step out and shoot him. Well, I ranged, ranged his butt and it was 40 yards. So I turned my pin to 40 yards drew back and as and then I as I drew back put my kisser button on took a step forward he was on his feet and gone like sometimes deer will do kind of a hop and kind of turn back at you but he was yeah gone like he didn't even give me an opportunity for like a 45 or a 50 yard shot at that point he just was bloop, bloop, out gone. of the picture out of yeah. the picture well there was also some does down in this drainage and I said, okay, this is it. If, you know, cause I had said to myself, I will make one stock today and then I'm leaving. And so I ended up, uh, it was at that point it was like noon. Okay. And I, I dropped down into the drainage where this buck had, has been and I'm walking, come up and I see a doe just the top of her head. And she comes back down and, and I know that if I turn this corner, there's going to be all these does right there. And as I'm getting ready to cross, I see a doe working her way away from me. She's on her feet. And then there's this, this whole parade of does that they leave the drainage. They're not spooked. They're just walking. And then they crest, they turn around and they go into a different part of uh, a, a different drainage. And I said, well, that was only 10. I know there's more than 10 deer in here. So I'm, I'm creeping lower. I'm creeping lower into this drainage and I, I'm slowly poking my head up over top of these, these rock formations. And I see an ear flicker and I'm like, okay, doe. So I'm just like trying to get range 40 yards, range 40 yards. Great. Okay. Set my pin 40 yards, draw back, you know, or actually I, I took two big steps behind a rock, this rock formation. And I drew and I said, as I stand up, she's going to be, she's, she was bedded down and I'm just going to drill her at 40 game over meet back to Iowa. And you're never on flat ground whenever you're trying to draw out there. Right. I mean, it's it's same, same when, when you're elk hunting, it's just like when I practice, both my feet are always in the same spot. You know, you never really practice for one foot up, you know, six inches and your other foot's kind of twisted and all this stuff. So I, I finally get steady feet, draw back, stand up. She, she, you know, obviously becomes aware that I'm there. She's pegged me. She's still bedded anchor right at her heart, right behind that front leg. Let it go. I'm fucking low, like (laughs) two inches. And I'm just like, ah, and then, then the entire drainage just clears out. Probably, probably another twenty deer just all run out of there. Yeah. And so that leaves me d- down to three arrows in my quiver. <laughs> this fawn pops up. She's standing sixty yards, and I'm like, dial sixty, knock another arrow, draw back, settle, <laughs> miss. She hops out and I, I, I debated telling this story, part of the story, because I'll, I'll definitely get somebody, um, 
online going, well, that's unethical if you don't feel comfortable at that range, blah, 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 yank, 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 right, whatever. But I, I was just like in this straight kill mode. She hops away, but like really doesn't hop away. She's like one little hop, turns around. It's a fawn, right? And I said, hey, you're getting another one. Range, 68. <laughs> Turn it to 68, draw back, anchor. And my arrow, I can tell when it's coming off my bow that it's not even going to come close to hitting her. Flanks real hard left. And it was really windy. Um, that's, something, yeah. that's something else out there that I'm not trying to make excuses. I, I, I blew these next shots. So, um, so the other one just far right of her um, in line, but far right. And I'm just like, and she just stands there and looks at me again knock my last arrow draw back and you know she didn't move so she's still at 68 and go boom and this one's just uh, low probably about by <laughs> what felt like 10 yards and i'm shooting up at her too which i don't know what what that plays into the whole equation but i hit the grass in front of her and she jumps up and she just stares at me and i have no absolutely no arrows left in my quiver i just launched every arrow within five minutes and i'm just sitting there going you know in my head going well this trip was fun <laughs> you know so so uh and at, at that point it was it was just like it's over she works uh, she works away i go to pick my arrows up out of the dirt and uh i'm climbing out of the drainage and there's a whole nother group of does right there standing at 45 50 yards so i put I'm trying to spit on my broadhead to clean all the dirt off of it so I can fold it back up So, because I was using a mechanical, put the, the rubber gasket back on it and try to shoot it again. And uh, it just, it wasn't working. The, the dirt was packed in there too tight. And uh, and uh, that was the end of my South Dakota mule deer hunt, man. So Hey, I'll say this. If nothing else, that last, that last day of your trip was... Yeah memorable yeah i mean and first off we've all been there yeah and any hunter that might be out there that says they haven't just wait you will be right um but uh i mean you know i'm sure you're comfortable at 40 yards and yeah. you know just sometimes shit happens and yeah i mean i would have been half tempted after i i missed that that fall on the third time and she kept looking at me to just be like, you know what? Screw this. I'm about to charge her with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> throw whatever's in my backpack. I'm just going to throw it right at her. Right. Yeah. Just screw you lady. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, I, I understand it. And the, the, really the biggest question is now, are you, for me at least, are you in the position like I am with elk where you are now, I have to kill an elk. Yeah. Like it is so on my mind, yep. even when I'm not there. Um, you know, I've been so close so many times and I've, I've screwed up so many times and I haven't let an arrow fly yet because I've screwed up so many times. And it's just like the first two years I was out there, it was, I'm going to kill a bull. Yeah. And now anything that's legal is dying. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, are you, are you in that situation 100%. now with people deer? I, this is going to be a bold statement and it's early on. It's it's late in this season and we're not even really talking about next season yet, but I might sacrifice whitetail time for more mule deer time because I don't like to lose. 
when it comes to things yeah. like this, right? I'm on a, I'm on like what a five year roll for filling my buck tag here in Iowa. Uh, I'm coming off a year where I just shot, you know, whatever this means. I don't like even having to say this, but I just came off of a, of my fifth year of shooting a mature buck. Um, and as far as antlers are concerned, if that plays any role into it, my second biggest buck, uh, I, I'm guessing I didn't score it, but, uh, but these mule deer now, it's basically when you're a kid, you know, you got a buddy who's just like, no, no way you'll ever ramp that bike off that ramp. And you're like, bullshit. Watch this. That's, that's my mood now is I'm going to kill a mule deer. Like I have to now. And it's not about anybody but me and mule deer. And, uh, and it's just, that's what I want. I, I want to kill one of these spot and stock mule deer more, more than anything, really. Um, no, maybe, I hear you, man. maybe elk it's, too, but it's, uh, it's to the point now where it's, it's like a grudge match. I know I, I get it. I know this now I'm not going to even attempt to hunt a mule deer until I've killed an elk. <laughs> right. Because if, if I go off that, that diving board, I'm, that's a, that's going to be bad for me. So I, um, you just helped me on that one. I'm not even going to try this mule deer shit until I get an elk down. And, and right. dude, I've had two horrible years in a row now elk hunting. Yeah. Uh, for other one reason or the other, and we won't get into all that, but it still doesn't matter. It's it's one of them deals where it's uh, if I could if I could go out west for two straight months, I would do it. Yeah. And so. I, I get you. Now, that is a bold statement about the whitetail stuff. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd have a hard time sacrificing my rut here, but you're right. I mean, you've had some success, and maybe it's, uh, you know, they, they rut too. Yeah. And maybe they get dumber in the rut, and you can kind of use that to your advantage because that, that would be the part that would, uh, I don't know, make me negative about it is just, how hard it seems based on the way you explain it yeah to get on one yeah uh, and i'm sure you know, and i'm sure just like uh, a new whitetail hunter is right they go through trials and tribulations and then for me i want to say i'm not even going to say 5 years ago because you can still fail if you're really good at something but it's been like 5 or 6 maybe 7 years ago where whitetail hunting kind of clicked for me and I started to understand it and really go into the woods and react and not like, you know, there's no, it's, it's less calculation and more ebb and flow and feeling it and going, you know, kind of going where the tide takes you. And I'm not that way, obviously with mule deer hunting, but I want to get to that where I can walk into the prairie, put myself in the best position and just have stock after stock after stock. And, and, and as we all know, not, oh, every, yeah. not every time you go into the tree stand, you're going to kill a deer, right? You still have to have that deer be there, but that's my goal. I want to be, I want to be efficient and sufficient with, uh, you know, with the mule deer too. And, yeah, you know, I got to give myself, uh, some time to, to learn and every every stock that I went on and failed, I was thinking about that failure going into the next stock. And I uh, I'm gonna have a lot of whitetail content on the Nine Finger Chronicles, um, 
this summer and stuff, but I'm also going to start talking to some successful spot and stock mule deer hunters uh, as well, because I, I personally want to figure these animals out and, uh, uh, yeah, it's your, your decision-making process, right? right? I mean, when, uh, and I'm sort of the same way, uh, I'm I'm not saying I'm some pro whitetail hunter, but when, at least when I make a decision on a whitetail hunt, 90% 90% of the time I'm confident in that I made the right decision at that moment, not at the end of the night, but at that moment, I feel like, yep, this is the right move. When yeah. I'm out West elk hunting, I second guess every <laughs> right. freaking decision I make. Right. And it, it then kind I, of, you know, it kind of leads back to the first question that I asked you. It's like, I'm walking around out there at times going, uh, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> yep. yep. So. What do I do with my hands? <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, I mean, then you, you know, I watch a lot of the, I don't know if you, the born and raised, um, elk hunting YouTube stuff. Yeah. And, uh, dude, everything they do, I'm like, yep, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yep. I wouldn't have thought of that. Uh, and so, you know, you've got a long ways to go. Um, even though you feel like you've learned a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a different, it's just a different hunt. Elk are different than mule deer that are different than whitetail and whitetail are different in different areas. So yeah, I, I get it. And yeah, you're sounds like you're addicted and you're going to be asking your wife some, some favors again next year. Huh? <laughs> right. Right. Hopefully the Christmas <laughs> presents that I get her uh, help, help soften the blow. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, man, it's, uh, and here's what I absolutely love about South Dakota. It is gorgeous out there. Like I love the Rocky mountains and I love going to Colorado and elk hunt and, and you know, I've been to uh, Idaho on an elk hunt and I've been, you know, just out there to, for recreation time as well. Uh, South Dakota, man, I, there's something about the prairie, the rolling hills, the, 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 the drainages and river bottoms out there that just like captivate me. And it almost like transports me into a, a time of as the, you know, like I, I just find myself thinking about westward expansion while i'm out there like who was the first who was the first guy to ever walk through here you know like you know was it an indian guy was it a you know a white man was it you know like uh you know and even one day i drove through badlands uh national park and i saw all these buffalo and it just it's just it was cool man and uh i love going out there i love the i love the uh the views and it's something that until I can't, I'm going to go every single year and try to shoot a shoot a deer, if not multiple times. And I got I got to send a personal shout out this year or last year. The guy that um, I went with, Dan Spano, uh, he's a good buddy of mine, and he shot a giant mule deer last year while we were out there. A little bit of luck, a little bit of planning and prep, and that's what we got. We we he shot a giant, and it's a lot. Like, don't get me wrong, going out and hunting by yourself it can be cool, and you it's an experience. But I like it better with a you know going with a buddy. And so, oh, yeah, no Dan, doubt. if you're listening, no excuses this year. Well, he had a really good excuse, right? He owns a business, and uh, COVID hit, and he kind of had to be there to run. Oh, I get run it, the yeah. deal, you know. So he he made an adult move, an adult decision, and and canceled the trip. But you know now the vaccine's out, and now next year 
Uh, I don't think he should have an excuse, so he better be coming with me uh, next year, and uh, maybe we can get it done again. Oh, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, you got that camaraderie. Oh, yeah. You know, when you get down on yourself, like after you got yelled at by the landowner and then yelled at by the other property owner. Yeah. My personal, I would have been so down that I, and so mad, I'd have have been like, you know, screw this, I'm, I'm going home. Yeah. You know, and... You know, if you got that buddy, well, you've got that buddy there with you. You can take on the guy if you need to anyway. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's like I wouldn't go out west if I wasn't with my, my guys. Yeah. I mean, that's that's part of it. Um, and so it, it, I thought that while you were out there the second time is, man, that's got to be difficult by himself. You know, just every decision you make, you, you're like, well, I don't have anybody to bounce this idea off of. So yeah. I guess and I'll do this. Dude, I'm telling you, you right know? now, that's a big key to success. I feel is sitting there game planning with another person who thinks different than you, who sees, you know, things from a different point of view as you, and you take, you know, you take these two ideas and you can form a, a, a strategy that's probably better than what one person can do alone. And I'm not saying that's the right way or wrong way to do it. But for me, you know, if I had a guy sitting on the hill three quarters of a mile away with a spotting scope, he could have texted me at least two hours into it saying, hey, man, they, they're they gone. <laughs> they're you gone, know, dude. <laughs> don't, you can turn around and come back. <laughs> right. No, I get it. No, and, and uh, I, like I said, I live vicariously through you on that because uh, I was obviously wishing your success, you know, and hoping that, you know, it's almost like if you would have killed something, I'd have been felt good about myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Right. Um, and that, that I was, I was excited. You were on deer every damn day. Yeah. That's the, at least the cool part, right? Like right. you didn't, what sucked about elk this last year with me was I didn't see shit for. Yeah. That that's probably tough in itself. Oh, and we, we bounced around and we kept running and nothing against other people. You kept running into other hunters and yeah, it was just like no sign and you're out of an area and you're back in an area. And I mean, was it fun? Yeah. But it's a lot more fun when you're seeing the animal you're trying to kill. Absolutely. Every day. So uh, that probably kept you at least excited that you yeah. kept having that chance, but it happens to the best of us, man. We've all missed something. So yeah, that's a fact, uh, man. Yeah. Well, I got to go get my kids from the school bus. So Nate, man, I appreciate, uh, your time and, uh, Thank you for coming on and BSing with me about this trip today, man. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Nate Thomas for uh, hopping on and and co-hosting this episode with me. I appreciate it. Um, Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast, man. Ozonics, Wasp, Vortex, Lone Wolf, and The Average Conservationist. Uh, By supporting those companies, you support me in a roundabout way. And uh, I really appreciate that, man. Um, Thank you. I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas. I hope everyone has a Happy New Year. Uh, We're going to start really popping out all the content here again. You know, hunting season for me is over. That means it's time to get back to work. And that means it's time to put out more content, podcasts. Uh, I'm going to try to get... uh, videos remember i got the nine finger kitchen coming soon and uh man thank you thank you thank you thank you to all of you who uh uh you know listen on a regular basis or you just listen one time a year or whenever i really appreciate it man so have a good day be sure to follow on instagram be sure to follow on facebook and uh man we'll talk to you when we talk to you